And you are so good. Lord, we just pray that we can come to you with open arms. Lord, we pray that we can open our eyes and open our ears, Lord, and have an open mind. Lord, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world today. But Lord, we just pray that we can come here and just put all that stuff away, all the junk, the stuff in our lives. We just come to you before you bowing on our knees say Lord you are great thank you for Pastor David Lord this pray that you will speak through him give him the words to speak in Jesus name amen you may be seated My name is Darth Schmader. I've come to deliver an important message. I'm calling the cops. Silence, Earthling. What do you want from me? The annual human custom of saving daylight is upon you. Daylight savings. You will adjust your clock and you will arrive to church on time or I will vaporize you with my gamma ray. Please, no! No! So how'd it go? Counterman is a plus one. <gasps> Let's hit the road! Well, we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> what? We always need roads. No, honey, the p- people that we're going to visit next, they live in a houseboat. Ew, a marina. That sounds neato. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put in this year's budget a DeLorean. I don't know if that's okay or not, but uh, that was actually supposed to be played before announcements. Um, But I wanted to get the word out, don't forget next week, so you can get up in the dark, um, set your clocks back, uh, back. You get an extra hour of sleep, and you won't miss church, right? Um, So, who, who likes this, that we do this every, you know, year with our clocks. Who, who likes it? Really? No one? I, one in the balcony. I, I don't like this. I don't like this change because it's depressing because I don't like to get up in the dark and I don't like to go to bed in the dark. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I ran across this list this week. Reasons why my children do not need more toys. 
You know, we're kind of entering into the holiday season, really. Um, next week is the, last, is the last message of our Courageous series, and then we're going to start a series that's going to go all through to the new year. It's going to be a study of the book of Philippians. It's, it's going to be called Rethink, and, and I can't wait to rethink as we go through the book of Philippians. So, you know, if you could start actually reading through the book of Philippians and, and becoming familiar with it, that would be great. That's in two weeks. We're going to start that series. But uh, reasons why my children do not need more toys. There's eight of them. First off, they started off as babies who found my Tupperware drawer much more fascinating than their toy box, right? Um, the days I change the paper towel roll in the kitchen bring great excitement as they claim their new sword or telescope. Their current toys are only exciting when I either reorganize them, put them neatly away, or when I start my garage sale pile. (laughs) Who needs toys when jumping on my bed like the five little monkeys brings tears of laughter? Um, Who needs toys when... I already said that one. They are content to look at the clouds and find shapes. Most recently, Caleb, this person that wrote this list, claimed he saw Thomas the engine. Really, just shouted it out while in the car. Thomas the engine in the sky. Anybody see anything in the sky this week? Looking at the clouds? Man, we are way too busy if we're not taking time to look at the clouds. Um, Three more. To make one of them want to play with a toy, all I have to do is give it to the other one. (laughs) Suddenly, that item becomes the best thing in the whole entire world. Um, The days I mop the kitchen floor and move the chairs into the living room are cause for adventure as they build tents and dark, dark rooms. Who's ever built a fort in your house? Who's done that in the last, you know, six months? Yeah. Okay, no, I I really haven't. Um, And then my personal favorite, the other day they literally fought over who got to play with the fly swatter. I really wish I was kidding, she says. Um, I don't fight over who gets, we don't fight over who gets to, we fight over who has to, right? Get the fly swatter and use it. Well, let's change gears a little bit. Does anyone know anyone here who's going through a a life-ending event? You know, they're they're in the, the last months or could be days, could be last few years of their life. Um, maybe it's an elderly parent or grandparent, um, and though they know their days are numbered, of course we all know that our days are numbered, right? But, but um, you know, my dad knows that he's not going to live forever and that it, that it could be soon. I mean, I've, we've talked about that together. But even despite that, even despite feeling like tomorrow could be the day, they still continue to live their faith as strong as they did 20, 30, 40 years ago to the very end. I am, I am amazed by people like that, um, but, but we are given the ability by, our, by the Holy Spirit to do just that. I mean, I mean my dad um, is, is living his life on the rock until the very end. There's nothing in this world that could convince him that, that the truth is not the truth, that, that he has not lived his life, all the ups and downs and everything, for the last, you know, 80 six years of his life, 87 years, that it wasn't worth it. He would say, yes, it was worth it. It was worth it. Because he has put his life on, he has lived his life on the rock. He's lived inside the borders of God. God's love, God's power, God's timing, and God's work to work all things for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And we too, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can live our lives to the very end just like that, whether it's tomorrow or next week or next month or in 50 years. We can all live that way. We can all live this way. And today, we can live and see that we can live courageously to the end. We're going to look at two final characters this week and next week from the Old Testament. We've been focusing on courageous characters of the Old Testament. We're going to start today and next week uh, as we finish this series by looking at New Testament, two New Testament men. Now, I want to see a, a raise of hands. How many of you here this morning have ever given money or given time to a cause? To a cause. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I, I would say all of you should probably raise your hand. Um, a cause is defined as this. A person or thing that acts, happens, or exists in such a way that some specific thing happens as a result. It's kind of an odd definition, isn't it? it it's the producer of an effect. You, you, you want to produce some sort of effect, so you support and become a part of whatever group it is that is fighting for that particular cause. Um, did you know that there's actually a website where you can start your own cause? It's, it's, it's called, um, let me find it here. Wow, I mean, it was just right here. Causes.com. How could I forget that? It's called causes.com. And if you go on there, you'll, they'll, they'll tell you that there are 186 million people who have signed up on this website in 156 countries, and there are over 1 billion actions taken on this website. From raising money to support cancer research, to funding indigenous people in the jungle, to give companies that are drilling for oil a hard time, there's all kinds of causes that are, that are on this website. Um, has anybody ever heard of the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society? Anyone? It's kind of an old show, right? Whale Wars, does that ring a bell? Anybody ever watch Whale Wars on the Discovery Channel? Well, this is a group of people that invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to go up into the Antarctic and fight against illegal whaling. Now, it's illegal. They shouldn't be doing it. But the governments in these areas aren't really doing much to stop it. So, so this group has taken it upon themselves to make it difficult for countries to whale. They use stink bombs, they use slime bombs, they pull up next to the ships and they throw stuff on their decks, they drag ropes in the water to get caught up in their, in their propellers. I mean, I've even seen these activists literally put their lives on at risk for this. Now, I, I, there are certainly some great causes out there, and I'm, I'm definitely not saying that the whales shouldn't be saved, but I'm not sure that risking one's life for an animal is necessarily the right... I mean, you look all across our world and you can see that we have our priorities screwed up, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I know I've said this several times, but, but our world ends the life of millions, millions of babies before they're born. And yet we spend tens of millions of dollars to save animals. I'm not saying that's not important, but it should be secondary to human life. Our, our, I, I, I don't know that a day has gone by in the last month where I haven't had a conversation with someone about how our, our culture and our world is, is losing our view of the value of human life. 
we sort of have decided that we can take it or keep it whenever we decide this. And, and, and that's ultimately not up to us. But, but here's, here's what I want to talk about this morning. Do you, know what's, do you know what's totally cool? There's a cause. There is a cause that every one of us can be a part of. It doesn't cost anything financially. Uh, it, it, it will never steer us wrong or put our lives needlessly in danger. Um, it's a cause that all of us really need to be a part of. It, it does some amazing, powerful things. In fact, it not only changes lives today, but completely transforms them for eternity. Anybody know what cause that is? It's the cause of Christ, right? It's the cause of Christ. And, and this isn't a cause that we can simply give lip service to. This isn't a cause that we can just send money to and feel like we're a part of it and feel good about ourselves. It is the cause. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to look at the life of a man who lived and died for the cause of Christ. His name is Stephen, and you can find him in Acts chapter 6. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 6. We find the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. And all around the world at this particular time in history that this was, that Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8 is talking about, the gospel is mostly taken root in places prepared by the blood of martyrs. If, if you think about that, even in, in our world, our country, uh, we're, not, we're not martyred today for proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We're not martyred today for meeting here and, and worshiping God. We, we aren't martyred, but there are people in countries every day all around the world that are. And it's in those countries, I think, that we're seeing the greatest increase of people giving their life to Jesus. Because before people can give their lives for the gospel, they must first live their lives for the gospel. And, and in order for somebody in another country to say, I believe it, I truly believe it, they have to, to live it, and, and in living it, they're shunned from their families, they're they're sent away, they're ostracized, they're kicked out into the streets. And as we know, in the, in the last year or two, they're often killed for it. In many ways, in, in very brutal, brutal ways. And, and, and in this particular passage in Acts, long before violent persecutions broke out against Christians, there was, there was already social ostracism going on in, in, in Israel. And as a result, the believers depended on each other for, for, for support. They, they were sharing homes. They were sharing food. They were sharing support for each other. And eventually, the number of believers increased to, the, to a point where they needed to organize because there were people that, that were being forgotten about. People were being overlooked, and there were complaints, and we see them. Seven men were chosen to oversee the distribution of food in the early church amongst the apostles. They were chosen for their integrity, their wisdom, and their sensitivity to God, and Stephen was one of them. Now, besides being a good administrator, Stephen was also a powerful speaker, and we see that when he's confronted 
in the temple by various antagonistic groups. Stephen's logic in responding was convincing, and this is clear from the defense he made before the Sanhedrin. He presented a summary to them of the history of Israel, and he made powerful applications that stung his listeners, stung them to the point that they were willing to kill him. During his defense, Stephen must have known he was speaking his own sentence. Uh, Members of the council could not stand to have their evil motives exposed, and so they stoned him to death amidst the words coming out of his mouth of forgiveness for these who would lay their hands on him. And his death had a lasting impact on a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who was there condoning the actions of the crowd and we're going to talk about him next week. But, but I can't help but think that was, the death of Stephen was yet another step for Paul, for Saul, in his understanding and movement towards God. You know, in our Bible study this week, we talked about um, Nate Saint and uh, Jim Elliott, who, who were missionaries to a, a crazy tribe in South America, and they were, they were murdered by this tribe. And, and their wives, Elliot's wife, went back. And what happened? The, in, the entire eternity of a tribe in South America was changed because of the forgiveness. If, if, if those men don't die, who knows? Who knows? God does. He was working in that. He knows what he's doing. He should never be questioned. So, so Stephen's life for us, is a continual challenge. His sacrifice raises several questions. How many risks do we take in being Jesus' followers? Did you take any risks last night as a follower of, last week as a follower of Christ? Think about, think about last week. Did you take, did you take any risks? Would, would you be willing to die for Jesus? And, and even maybe this question simply, are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to live for him? Because we got to live for him before we'll be willing to die for him. Okay, Acts chapter 6, we begin reading in, in, in verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parm. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that interesting right there, just as an observation, that that by assigning these men to take care of the needs and to wait on tables, we see that the word of God is spreading and that the number continues to increase rapidly. Now Stephen, verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. How are we like Stephen? 
To become men and women who are courageous to the end? Three things. Three things. First of all, we must be full of God's grace. Point number one in your notes. Now, Stephen, it says in verse verse 8, a man full of God's grace. And in his life, this grace produced two things. It produced salvation and it produced humility. I mean, he was good with waiting tables. He said, yep, calling on me, I'm going in. Grace unto salvation. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 26 says this. This righteousness from God, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's Jesus Christ that by his grace that we receive salvation. Stephen has believed. He was a sinner just like the rest of us. And he was saved by grace. Paul said it's, it's his faith that justifies him. And he was full of God's grace because he had been justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We too, when we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender our life to him, to have him atone for our sins, our righteousness comes from God, not from us. It's it's not our action of belief. It's Him. He saves us. Because we've all sinned. We all fall short. Stephen was a man full of God's grace. And that grace came from Jesus Christ. That changed who he was. That changed how he thought. That changed what he prioritized in life. It, changed, it made an incredible difference in his life. That was the life he was living, no matter what he was doing. What, what kind of life are we living? Our lives will be different as we are being changed, as we are being redeemed. If your life is no different today than before you first say you believed, take inventory. There was an obvious difference in Stephen's life. You see, he had grace unto humility, unto servanthood. I already alluded to it, but Stephen, being full of God's grace, um, is evident by the fact that he was a servant. He was willing to give of himself, not to only think of himself. He didn't fight for the right to be a higher-up leader. He didn't say, "Ah, oh, you know, I was really kind of hoping to get that elder position. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not waiting tables. I'm going to go to the other church, or I'm going to go to that other place. Where, where are our hearts? He, he humbly served in the place he was put, and he was a waiter. You know, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees one day, and, and they were all having this argument about who should get to sit where at the table. And, and that, was, uh, that was an important thing in the culture in that day. Who, who got to sit, you know, in, in our culture, uh, who, sits in the, who sits in the chair with the arms? Right? It, you're right, Garrett. 
A high chair has arms? Exactly. But, but at your dining room table, if you have one, there, there's one chair, right? One. Gary's. It's Gary's chair. Nobody sits in that chair. Oftentimes, it's, it's the man of the house. It's the father or the grandfather. That's the way it was in our house, at least at my grandmother's. So we sort of have had that thing as well, but, but it was really important in Jesus' day. And Jesus, Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, says this, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says humility is important. And, and, and I would say that humility is only possible in your life and in mine if we have been changed and are being changed by the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. As we are full of God's grace and living our lives courageously to the end, we serve others. There was a little girl, she was on her way home from church, and she turned to her mom and she said, Mommy, I'm a little confused about the pastor's sermon this morning. And her mom said, Well, well what's the deal? Why is that? The girl said, Well, He said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? And her mom said, well, yes, that's true. Of course it is. She said, he also said that God lives within us. Is is that true too? And, And her mom said, yes, of course. Well, said the girl, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, then wouldn't he show through? Yes. Yes. Exactly. God was definitely showing through Stephen's life. In, in what ways is he showing through in yours? In what ways is he showing through mine? In, in fact, it was showing through so much that the religious leaders of the day took notice. And they didn't like it. They weren't pleased. In fact, they falsely accused Stephen of several things that could lead to death. Blasphemy against Moses and against God. And, and they not only accused him of it, but they found people who would come forward and say, yes, I heard him say it. I heard him commit this. And then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And in verse 2 of chapter 7, to this Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me, exclamation point. He's proclaiming this now. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. I find Stephen's response intriguing. He doesn't answer their question. He doesn't answer their question. He didn't give them an answer. Instead, he begins to witness to them and say, you know, and and some of us have heard, some of us older people have said, well, when I was a boy, right? That's, it's kind of, that's, that's kind of sort of what Stephen's doing here. A long, long time ago, right? Not in a world far, far away, but in this one, Stephen says. This happened. And, and it is obvious to me that Stephen was empowered by God here. Have you ever had one of those experiences when you knew it's like, I don't know what I was saying. It was just like God was speaking right through me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we, can, we can count on that. We can rely on that. When, when God puts us in times where he wants us to proclaim good news. I mean, Stephen's decisions were not being driven by his own power. I don't know if any of us have ever stood in the face of somebody that said, you renounce Jesus Christ or I'm going to cut your head off. 
Could you do it? Would you do it? Sitting right here in this chair, it's easy to say, yes, I absolutely would. But I'm guessing that if that time ever came, it would be the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You would, as soon as those words were said, you would say, Lord Jesus Christ, I need your strength right now. I need your power flowing through me so that I can say, ain't gonna do it. You do with me as you will. But I have decided, and there's no turning back. There's no turning back. You see, men and women who are courageous to the end are full of God's grace and they're full of God's power. Look at verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. And, and that power in your life and in mine comes for the Holy, from the Holy Spirit. You see, at salvation, God gives us the Holy Spirit. He marks us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul explains it this way, And you also who were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And that seal is the promised Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, we've each been marked. Day after day after day, Christians lose their lives in our world for what they believe for who they have put their faith and trust in. They proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to know exactly how many, and, and this was from four years ago, but according to the World Evangelical Alliance in 2012, over 200 million Christians in 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. The International Bulletin of Missionary Research estimates that approximately 176,000 were martyred from mid-2008 to mid-2009, Again, these are old numbers. And if that current trend continues, this article said, by the year 2025, and we're a little over a third of the way there, an average of 210,000 Christians will be martyred annually. C.S. Lewis said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. There may be a time when our own lives are at stake because of our belief in Jesus Christ. And if we aren't really living for Jesus today, I don't think we're going to be willing to die for him when we're confronted by that. And, and if that is a cause for concern for you, I, I, I would implore you to get on your na- knees and say, Jesus, speak the truth into my life. Am I saved? Have you saved me? Have you given me the Holy Spirit? Men and women who are courageous to the end have the Holy Spirit. Stephen also had power to sacrifice. Power to sacrifice. You know, in, in our current culture today, we, it really is about us. I mean, think about, think about the, the very decision that, that you're going to make this next week. What is that based on? Now, I, I, I think we would say that whoever we vote for, we're, gonna, we're, we're choosing the candidate that we think is going to be the best leader of our nation. And we may find out that, that who we had in mind is not the leader that God wanted for our nation. I, I know I've said this before, and I hate saying it out loud, but maybe God doesn't want our nation to recover yet. Man, if that doesn't 
throw some humility and some, it shouldn't be fear. But, but that's, honestly, that's when some of this courage to the very end is going to be necessary. Men and, men and women who are courageous to the, to the end are full of God's grace, full of God's power, and they are, number three, full of God's wisdom. And this is the hinge, I think. This, this is where our foundation must rest. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. What is a precept? What is a precept? A command, a law, a statute. It's right here. You have, it. You have one in your hand probably. Look at verse 9 of Acts chapter 6. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen was full of God's wisdom. And where did that come from? Where did that come from? Honestly, at this point in time, where did that come from? Where, where, did, where did his wisdom come from? The Holy Spirit and what physical thing? The Bible, okay. But what Bible did they have? The Old Testament. Isn't this amazing? This is amazing to me. Which is why he starts back with Abraham, right? Because that's, that's the book that he had. God's book that speaks of Jesus Christ all throughout every page. Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And, and, and Stephen is proclaiming it. For 53 verses, Stephen gives a rundown of Israel's struggle with faith in God. He starts with Abraham, works all the way down to Jesus, and they hear from him that even when Jesus, the Messiah himself, was here, they murdered and betrayed him. They murdered and betrayed him. Are these just made-up stories? No, this is history. This is history of humanity. Just powerful illustrations to make his point No. They were the absolute truth. The history of Israel. The Pharisees knew it. They knew it. Have you ever had an argument with someone and in the end of that argument, you're proven wrong, but you're unwilling to give? What happens? You get angry, don't you? It's like, I'm not giving on this. I know that. It just ticks you off, right? When somebody proves you wrong. It ticked them off to murder, to murder Stephen. And we can each grow in our wisdom every day. It, 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 it simply takes taking this book and reading some of it and asking the Holy Spirit, who as a Christ follower you have in you, to illuminate it for you. And how many times have you read something in the Bible and you say to yourself, I have never seen that before. I've never seen it that way before. I've never seen that before. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe it's a Bible story that you grew up and you know it by heart. And you finally, in your adult age, you read it again and you go, oh, 
It's because God, it's because the Holy Spirit has shined a big flashlight on it and he's illuminated it for you. Full of God's wisdom. And, and there's this faithfulness in studying God's word. How else would Stephen know all of this? How else will we learn of God's character? How else will we know these things? Well, some would say, well, the Holy Spirit's just going to tell me. Okay. Um, when's the last time you read something on Facebook and you thought to yourself, that's not true? Or when's the last time you read something on Facebook and you were like, yeah, and you forwarded it, and then like a couple days later but somebody said, you know, that's just really not true. Should we rely completely on how we feel and what we think about things just that come to our mind? No. No, we must rely on the Word of God. Um, in, in, we, we are commanded to be like Christ. Romans, Romans 8.29 says we are to be conformed to the image of his Son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says we are being transformed into his image. Follow me, Jesus says. Be like me. And we can know how he was by what we read, what God has given us. We need to know what it looks like. And that comes from studying God's word. Studying Jesus' sermons in Matthew, the Beatitudes, what, what it means to be salt and light. What, what, does, what does God say about law and murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and love for enemies? And it goes on and on and on. There's so much wisdom here. Some men and women are courageous to the end because they study God's word faithfully every day. I, my dad does every day. I've seen it. And as we do that over time, when a situation comes up that requires wisdom, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the Word of God. Why do you think your math teacher made you do problems over and over and over and over and over and over again? Why do you think when you hear a, a, a melody or a lyric or two words, okay, at the, in the football game last night, Towards the end, when everybody was really excited and, and there was this safety committed, our football player did what has now been dubbed the safety dance. How many of you, a melody just came to your mind when I said the two words safety dance? Because you can dance if you want to, right? It's because you heard that over and over and over and over and over again. We hate watching commercials, but you know them by heart often because it's repetition yes let's study god's word repetitively and then when we're in situations we're like well i don't know if i'll have the answer boom the holy spirit illuminates something in in your mind and it's like oh yeah i remember what the bible said about that or about that now in the end according to the world standards it didn't turn out so well for stephen they dragged him out of the city, and they killed him with rocks. I cannot imagine a worse way to die. But he looked up to heaven as he's being killed, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen not only lived for the gospel, he also died for it. And just as, just as Jesus said, I, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, Stephen is forgiving those who are killing him. 
I mean, isn't it good to know that our courage, the courage we will have when we need it, doesn't come from us? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't really feel that all courageous. In fact, I just want to go home, shut the door, not talk to anybody, not answer my phone, and just, you know, binge watch some show. But our courage to live in the world today doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christ follower, you have been marked. You have the Holy Spirit. What a gracious and faithful end to Stephen's life. Look at Acts seven fifty nine and 60. I mentioned this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. No cursing, no finger pointing, but forgiveness of his attackers and resolution that he was in God's hands. So Stephen's end came at the hands of angry and selfish men. Your life could end that way. My life could end that way. And we can have the same courage that Stephen did. Courageous to the end. Or we, you may live a, a life full of joy and contentment, not, not without struggle, but, but with a sense of peace to the very end. And my question for us today is, won't you join me in being full of God's grace, being full of God's power, and his wisdom to that end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you brought today to hear your word. And Father, my prayer is that that your name has been honored this morning, that, that we would look to you for that courage, for that filling of your spirit. Father, if there's anyone here today who couldn't say yes, yes, I know, I know that I've been saved. I pray that they would surrender their life to you, that they would call on your name as the Messiah, Jesus, and know that they are dearly loved, And Father, I pray that you would give us strength and courage and, and discipline. It takes discipline to read your word every day. Help us, Father, as grandparents and as parents to be like you so that our children who, if they would say that they would want to be like us, that they would also say, I want to be like Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would use our church not our building or our property, but this group of people and those who weren't able to be here with us today in the hearts and minds of those that we rub shoulders with every day who, who if they were to die today, they would be in hell. Lord, I, I just pray that you would use us as instruments of grace and that we would look for those open doors that you provide, that we would seek them 
Oh, Lord, thank you for Stephen. Thank you for Paul. Sinners like us, saved by grace. As we sing this last song, Lord, we we proclaim you. We bend our knees before you. We raise our hands to you. And Father, as we also worship you in the giving of our tithes and offerings, Lord, help us to Help us to see that as an an action of of surrender, of sacrifice, of commitment to what you're doing in our part of the world and and to parts all over the world, really. Now, Father, we just want to close the service singing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.